Hello and welcome to Failing Boldly, a podcast that invites people to share stories about failure, resilience, and perseverance. I'm your host, Christian Kuhn, and my guest this week is Sheldrick Holmes. I don't know about you, but it seems like every day I read about one of my favorite restaurants or businesses having to close because of the pandemic. It made me curious about how does a restaurant actually make ends meet in times like this. So I reached out to one of my favorite new places in the neighborhood, the Grail Cafe, which opened just two months before the pandemic hit. They've hung in there, and I reached out to the owner, Sheldrick Holmes, to share part of his story. I hope you enjoy it. Sheldrick Holmes, thank you so much for joining me on the Failing Boldly podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, before we, I'm interested, really interested in hearing about how, what it's like to start a cafe and now how you've been dealing with the pandemic. But first, let's back up a little bit. And I'm curious as to how the Grail Cafe came to be, meaning what's your own background and what were the things in earlier in your life that made you decide to take this leap into restaurant ownership? So I'm originally from uh, Florida, um, Titusville, Florida, in Brevard County. It's um, some people know it, some people don't. It's, it's where the launch pads of the um, of the shuttles are at. It was something about that, like seeing all the shuttles. I was born in 1980, so just kind of like in the that mist of you know the really humping start of like the shuttle program, like the you know popularity. Like and then just dealing with watching the shuttles go up and then having them come down with a sonic boom and then watching them go up again and going somewhere. I realized very early on it's like I was not meant to stay in Titusville, Florida. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I was I needed to leave. Um and it was nothing about the state of the city. I just know that home was home, but I needed I needed to immediately, you know you know, leave when I was 18 and graduated high school. And I was very good at school, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I honestly did not know what I wanted to do. So that's where I joined the Navy. It was kind of a idea for me to get away, but also be secure, Mm. (laughs) which is a very, very important thing for me to feel comfortable is security. Um, Of course, I get into the restaurant business and then (laughs) that makes like no sense whatsoever, but a different type of security, I guess. Um, uh, so yeah, so it was, it was, you know, I was in the Navy for five years from 1999 to 2004, kind of like the beginning parts was kind of like, not easy, but you know, there was no, the whole war on terror. And then like September 11th, like hit Mm. and it was complete change, you know, um, of, you know, military service for myself. Um, I did get out in 2004, and uh, just from that point, started like my new career. I very, I must say, I want to make sure I say this: the best decision that I made as an adult, and I was at eighteen when I joined the um, the navy, was to join the navy. Hmm. It was the smartest thing that I did for myself. There's still so many benefits from that decision that I made um, that are I'm still reaping those fruits from that from that seed. It's not just the idea of the service, but it's just about it was just something about taking that leap of faith of the unknown. Um, but knowing that I was going to be okay, 
And then I, after the Navy, I worked at the University of California, San Diego, in a research um, a program. It was a um, consortium with um, several different Ivy Leagues, like Harvard and um, UCLA and Penn State. It was for schizophrenia and um, bipolar mental illness, um, which I did a lot of um, psychological testing and just hit close head injury testing when I was in the Navy. That was kind of part of one of my jobs that I did. So it was a nice kind of path into civilian life going into the university system. And uh, Stephen and I decided that we needed to move from San Diego, which is beautiful, to Chicago because we needed a change. And, and I'm not really sure at that moment why we did that. There's something about having beautiful days every day that is kind of just like, there's no change. You got to have a little <laughs> bit of a struggle <laughs> of a rainy day, you know, more than one rainy day. And I think that was a little bit of the problem with San Diego. It was like, every day is beautiful. I'm not going to go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and I should say, Stephen, yeah. Stephen was your partner. Yes, yes, Stephen okay. was my partner. Yes, okay. yes. Um, yeah, Stephen um, um, was my um, partner at that time. Yes, um, we were together for 19 years. I met him in San Diego when I was uh, 20. Um, and actually, one of our first uh, like dates and encounter, I told him, I'm going to open a cafe someday. Hmm. At that time, he was a, uh, a waiter at a place called Cafe and Park in San Diego. And um, I was like, yeah. I, I want to open a cafe someday because I like the idea of having a small cafe in a city, you know, that's a run. I kind of planted that seed and just said it and really did, didn't, you know, water it or cultivate it in a way that I thought was actually doing, like moving towards that, you know, through jobs and, and educational, you know, towards being in the restaurant industry. It was just like, I just said that and just like, let it go. Um, and Little that I know, I think everything that I've learned through my life has been watering and cultivating and, you know, nurturing that seed that I planted, you know, very early on. Just, I, you know, I look back, I didn't, I could see it now, but through, actually through the process of the years, it was nothing that I saw as very tangible. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we moved here in, um, yeah, we moved here in Chicago. It was in October of... Um, 2007 which was a you know so you know a great year to you know be in here it was such like the buzz was like you know just amazing you know with the idea of us getting the olympics that i you know mm. you know president obama it was it was really just like this like oh you wanted to be in chicago um and i wanted to work downtown so i got a job and i really wanted to be that downtown hustle like get on the bus get out the bus go down adam's you know, work at a high rise. And I got a job at, um, in, from an organization that was in the Sears Tower, like on the 64th floor or something like that. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, that's, I want city life, you know, no more beaches and, you know, <laughs> good weather. I want to, I want to be on the ground. And actually I loved every moment of like that energy of being around. Sure. And I'm glad. Um, but it was, yeah, after three years at that company, I left and got a job as a project manager on the south side of Chicago at a, you know, a, um, like a mid-sized um, company called Loeb Equipment and Appraisal. And it was a family-owned business. 
that was been the family for generations, you know, and it, you know, I just fell in love. I just fell in love with the idea of like the family owned business. Um, just, it was something about being with people that were not your friends that they knew you before you knew, you know, they knew something about you before you came in. They can read your mood, your, you know, your energy. And I, I, something about that I just really like tapped into and like really, you know, respect. And I sat there one day and I was like, I am not happy. This is not what I should be doing. I was just coming in at seven, leaving at seven, sending emails, working on weekends, you know? And I was like, no offense. I know it's a family owned business, but my name is not, I'm not at the family name. And also this is not my business. I'm working too hard. You know, I was like, I got, I was done. And I think I realized that at that point it was like, I'm going to do what I love in cooking and food and the humbleness of serving people food was always something that I love. It was planted early on with, I think my grandmother and my mother, when we would, when we would go up to Valdosta, Georgia, where uh, my grandmother lived and I would wake up early in the morning and like, they would give me coffee and my mother and my grandmother, uh, Louise would um, like make pies or cake. And I would be able to sit there. I was the only one. I would be able to sit there with my grandmother and just like watch them like bake or do something. And then me and my grandmother would take a walk together. And I, I remember that those moments very important because I always talk about planting seeds of something that, that is, that's very important. And it was just a seed that was planted in you know, me that the time and the patience and the listening. When I made the step to leave that job, like left a full-time job, but nice paying job and went to culinary school, you know, kinder college at that time, like full time for, you know, I already had a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. I was like, you know, why not get a associate's degree in culinary and let's, let's do this. Um, and it was so challenging. It is not what they make it seem like on television at all. It is, um, it's a lot of work and it was the best thing that I ever, I, I just know, I was like, oh, I am in what I need to be. Mm. You know, I am where I need to be as a person. And so I got a job at a corporate um, uh, meat production company as a, you know, um, Tito Watson as their um, a culinary trainer and, you know, a, a chef there, you know, which was, was great because there's a lot of menu development. I knew a year in that I just needed to step out on my own. You know, I, I felt like I had enough knowledge, enough, you know, tools and enough, you know, willpower and within myself and support from people that I could actually do, you know, I could do this. And I believe in myself. And, um, you know, you know, it was writing a business plan from scratch. I, you know, we wrote a business plan from scratch, from the paper, you know, and we, um, we submitted, you know, it to a bank. And um, I think the first bank said yes, but they don't like that industry, which is the food industry. And then I was like, okay, huh. And I went to, okay, fine. And one of the things that I actually have like in my, in my inbox is your no is just, you know, a stepping stone to my yes. Mm. And it kind of clicks to, it's in the inbox and literally it goes higher and higher and higher because it's like, I'm just almost there. A no is not a no. It's just, oh, it's your no, but it's not my no. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it's so, so you can say no. I'm like, okay. I was like, okay, I got to go find my yes. 
I think yeah. when, when you're opening, well, in my mind anyway, I wonder sometimes people have romantic visions of coffee shops or owning a small restaurant or something like that. And I would imagine you have to have some of those romantic notions in order to actually start it. But yeah. I also read that the number of cafes and diners and restaurants that don't work out are pretty high. So what was the thing for you that surprised you when you, when you opened it? And I should say the Grail Cafe opened in January. So of course, two months, two and a half months before, before COVID hit. But when you started in those first couple months, were those romantic visions, I guess, did it come true or was it harder than you thought it would be? Or no, I knew this would be a challenge. Um, and so oh. here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the romance ended 10-32, January 1, opening <laughs> day, 2020. I remember that dead time because literally there were so many people mm. at the front door. And I'm like, what are they? Like, um, not like why are they here, but like, what, uh, why are so many people here? Yeah. You know, the first, yeah. So it happened at that, it happened at first, like the room. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to be going around and like, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm yeah. Charlie's your owner. Nice to meet you. Oh, thank you so much for coming. You know, it's like every day. And every, you know, I did that the first, uh, a little bit of a soft opening. And I did that the first couple hours, you know, we were open at seven. And, you know, and I was feeling really good. I make a dish. I want to make a dish in the staff and I'll be able to go out and like, first guest and shake I was very very all of that you see on television you know it was I was I was like oh this is gonna be so nice have my chef coat on and uh then people started coming and more people and more people and we were like what's going on <laughs> and it was like it was like oh I was not prepared mm. <laughs> I mean you're prepared but you're not prepared for what the actualness of it and then it's like, oh, that's the first day. And then it's the repetitiveness of it, the same every day, and which is very exciting. But also, but not just like the customers interaction, the ordering of the food, the ordering of the pastries, the making of the food, you know, the making the same soup, the same, you know, mm -hmm. it's like that repetitive of it, which, um, so yes, the, the romance definitely went away you know at that time i will say the repetitiveness of it was something that i didn't have a problem too much with because i kind of trained myself very early on on that type of behavior i was a um, marathon runner for for years i ran like 11 marathons so, so far completed mm -hmm. and so there is a repetitiveness to waking up every you know every early morning to get your runs in that telling yourself on that you know Friday night, it's like, I am not going to have this second, third glass of wine. I am not going to go out. I'm actually going to go to bed. That's the work that you put in. And so I realized that I had that, I already had that skill kind of mastered mm -hmm. through everything else. I knew that I could like dig deep and figure it out by just doing it. So when I say the romance kind of escaped or left on the first, it was good that that happened because it gave, it gave us the vessel for something else to be filled with it in, which, mm. which, was, which was that. It was, um, we had, you know, we were able to take ourselves out of it. 
um, take our what our expectations that we thought it was going to be, you know, good or bad, kind of out of it, and then allow what it needed to be to fill within the ground. That's really interesting and probably challenging for, I think for an entrepreneur, you have a vision of what you want this thing to be. And you get to that point where you realize I can either dig my heels in and it's going to be this no matter what, or you realize we're going to have, we're going to have to shift. This has to be a little bit organic if we want to meet the needs of the customers. And if we want this thing to succeed. Yeah. Oh, and we were shifters. Day one, we were counter service. That's we trained everyone for counter service. Day two, we were full service restaurant mm. for sure. Week week and a half in, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. After that, I came I came back from a therapy session with that. I like literally I was disheveled. I didn't know what I was looking like. I had think I had like a hat on, a jacket. I sit I remember sitting with Steven, um, Cassandra, uh, who is our um account manager for um um Gordon's, and I was like we're not doing dinner anymore because <laughs> we can't. I was like, I need to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And we're not sleeping. So boom, end the dinner. We're going to do breakfast and lunch. We can make it on that. Um, and then what changed? And then we were just like, and then it was just like pivot, pivot, pivot. Mm. And this is all before. This was January into February. Everything was pivoting. We didn't, the idea, I mean, maybe I honestly didn't hear anything about like, you know, the pandemic COVID. I was so in the grill, but we were pivoting all the time to, I would say, and I'm going to say this, it's not really to meet so much of the customer's needs. And I will get into that, you know, like later, it was really to meet what, to filling in of what, not the customer's need of what actually, what we wanted to present and offer as a experience and a offering of gifts to the customers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is a, for our mindset, at least up for myself, it's a different. Um, the grill is a part of me. It is, it is a part of me. It is, you know, I, I can, I feel it even if I'm not there. It's a part of me, the part of Steve. It's a part of who I am. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in that space. Um, and I love it. It's my home. It is my, my staff's home, you know, you know, my, you know, our family, my staff, um, Karina, Sylvia, Trey, Zach, Noah, Will have been there. My full-time staff, you know, they've been there the whole time. You know, I, kept, I was able to keep my whole full-time staff all through this pandemic. It was very important for me. They are my family and I love them dearly. You know, they, they are the grail part of it. And, you know, I tell them, he's like, this is the, this is, that's their business. I'm just kind of a caretaker to make sure to remove hurdles from them and their day-to-day. It's not, you know, it's, it's not mine. There's a giving up to it that you need to do. You need to give it up. You know, like, like I said before, the notions of romanticism about mm-hmm. it, you know, you kind of have to give it up. So that way it can fill into what actually truly needs to be for everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can, you, can you share those first few days, maybe even weeks when COVID really hit and what your mindset was? Yes, definitely. You know, I remember a day I pulled the back table that sits six, I pulled it to the front. So that way the customers coming in, A, can kind of see us, we're working, we're here. You know, there's a consistency of us that's there. I am chugging along, doing, you know, doing work. The work that I was doing was applying for every application, every loan, every 
every research, anything I can do to make sure that I can get any resources to pull from to keep us open. You know, that was definitely my, that was my full-time job, you know, but I, I wanted to see that work and also interact with the, interact with the guests. Um, one of the biggest things that I think I remember telling the staff was like, we will not talk about any, we will, we will not talk about COVID in here in regards to, you know, like, oh, did you hear this on the news or something? We don't need to do that. They're getting, we're getting all the bad out there in the world. You know, our motto is where goodness can be found. It's not just good news or, you know, it's actually, let's give them something good. Let's talk about a book that we read or an interesting series that we just watched and something different, you know. So actually maybe they could take maybe that little seed of something interesting, good, and plant that in the mind of someone else, you know, their husband, their wife, their kids. It was like, oh, you should kind of check out this book that we heard from um, Trey at the Grill that he was reading. You know, it's something you should like that you may be interested. Something that could get their mind off of death and, you know, recession. And it was very important for me because, you know, in our space um, where um, goodness can be found, it's not the, about the food or the design. It's actually about the the community. The goodness is the community and they're found within the grail. For me, I was able to interact more with customers than I did in the first two months and a you know, half because I was on the line working around, you know, I was actually able to be in front and be like, thank you for showing up and still mm-hmm. being here um, and actually tell them thank you. And I actually was able to see that our work was more important than actually just making food and serving coffee and wine and beer. Mm. We actually needed to be the space that actually is that light, you know, that seed of goodness that it is. Can you talk a little bit about, you've talked a little bit about the general challenges of opening your own restaurant and you can only tell your own story. So I'm also curious as a black gay man, what are the hurdles or challenges you think you may have faced maybe say that a, a white business owner would not have faced? Yeah, it was, um, it's, you know, I put those, I put four statements on the, um, on the uh, right hand side of the door. Um, through, and the, it was uh, right after the first, you know, incident of the, of the riots that happened in the city. Um, our windows have not been, you know, smashed in ever. We never put boards up either, you know, you know, we were, we were protected, Um, you know, our community helped us for sure. And I think maybe there was a divine, you know, faith that, you know, that we never got our windows, you know, and this was before, you know, the identification that that I was, you know, a um, black business owner, you know, during at the time. Um, And um, it was really first a me declaring it to the world mm-hmm. versus it being maybe just seeing me as a, as a known fact effect. I mean, I you see me, you look at me, I am black. My skin is, you know, my skin is brown. You can tell that I'm African-American, you know? Um, so, but it's different from that than actually saying I'm black, you know, mm-hmm. actually saying I'm black. I had never done that before. Declaring it was very important for me. Declare myself as a, you know, as a gay man, it was one of those things that, um, that, you know, I came out when I was out, I came out at 19, I was out. I was like, you know, I, you know, but I had, 
you always come out, at least for myself, I should say. For myself, I feel like I always had to come out. You know, I was in a corporate world, so I was, I was like, oh, so um, you get these conversations. It's like, oh, yeah, so you, you, you're married. You have, I was like, uh, yes. It was like, so what your wife says? Well, my husband is, you know, is, mm-hmm. is, thinks this way, or we don't have any kids, or, you know, something like that. And it's like, it's always this, you know, and maybe I made it such a big deal than what it actually, you know, was. Who knows? And um, so it's really that I declare I'm a veteran. You know, which which I said before was like one of the best decisions that I made, you know, as an adult, you know, to really say I'm a veteran. And a lot of that just because of service. I find the humbleness of service being first, not just a country to give, to serve to someone, to give someone to be the greatest gift that you can actually provide um, to a person. Um, it fills me up so much. Did you notice a difference? Because like, that was the first time I think I noticed it, too, was after the after George Floyd murder and some of the um, stuff that happened in downtown Chicago. And that's what I noticed. I don't know if you had posted on the grail that this was black owned, LGBTQ owned. Did you notice any difference at all once you posted that both within yourself and in the ways that people came into the grail? Um, funny enough, I don't think I even posted anything. And people came by when we put it up, they posted it. Like, oh, you know, interesting. I, yeah, so I actually kind of did it because, you know, aesthetics kind of mean something to like to me. I was like, oh, I can't have this paper on my wall. Oh, no, paper <laughs> on the wall. I was like, no, this would be nice. It's going to be, look, it's going to be very grail, which we say for some of the things. So, like, this needs to be grail. This can't be, you know, it was like, is that grail? If it's not, go back and like re- revisit it, make sure it's grail. So I was like, no, I can't have paper on the wall. I was like, it needs to be, we at least put this up, this would be nice. That was kind of like, I, I will say that was my first intentions of it. I did not know that it was a transformation that occurred for me as a person that the meaningful of me saying black owned, gay owned, veteran community supported. I learned that in the months of the COVID pandemic and the, and the race riots. That was not, that's not something my first thought that I thought was not that. It was ecstatic to be making sure that it was within the grill. Hmm. Did I know it was the it was the community that came through. They were taking photos of that, and I was like, "So many people are posting that side of it, you know, of us saying." I'm like, "Huh." And now to this day, people like come by just to take a photo of that, hmm. and and then the grill. And I'm and so, wow, that means some. It's so important. Um, now I know how important it is because the journey that I've gone through, you know, personally to understand that what that means for myself. You mentioned earlier that you see yourself as generally an optimistic person. As you look ahead now, you've been able to hang in there for nine months. And as you look ahead, the uncertainty of the future, do you still consider yourself optimistic and hopeful when you think about the future of the grail? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a quick yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I, will, I will be on the street with a pen and a paper, girl cafe, a new donation if I have to, mm. you know, I, it does, it doesn't, you know, I, it was one time that uh, we were in and it was just, um, let's say a guest came in and two uh, crutches. It was hot that day, a backpack asking for a donation for her surgery that, sh- that um, they needed, you know, for her, for her back. And I'm looking and I think I started crying, which I, I cry a lot. Um, for emotion, usually good, good emotions. I cry a lot because my cup of food. And I was like, you know what? It is like 95 degrees. 
two crutches. I would not be doing that for a surgery, you know, out there hustling to try to get a donation. If she's out there doing this, in no way that we are not going to make sure that we can say, you know, we can do this too. This, that same willpower. I was like, that's the willpower that I think in my mindset that I have, you know, for, for the grip. I was like, well, I'm not going to close. It was like my staff needs to, you know, they have Fuji. I, I also have bills. I, I also have an obligation to the people that's entrusted me with the space to rent it out. I have an obligation to the community to be open, mm-hmm. to actually service them. We never close one day, you know, through the whole thing. Well, I usually end these conversations by asking uh, my guests to share a story of failure. And that can be anything personal or professional uh, yesterday or several years ago. So I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a, a story for us. When I went to, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it it's a failure for me. It's one of the first times I quit something. Um, I went to, uh, got my master's degree in accounting and uh, immediately thought I needed to be a CPA. You know, so did got the course exams, you know, and uh, studied, I thought. I took, I've taken finance and regulations first. Study, 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 you know. I'm going to do this. Failed. And I was, I never failed to te- like a test like test before. I was like, oh, okay, but these are hard. So, you know, people fail their, you know, you, I can rationalize myself the second time. Study, 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 study. I thought, I failed again. What the? Uh, I mean, I literally am running, wow. Okay, I'm not gonna take finance and regulations because that's too hard in the beginning. Let's just go, you know, standards and you know procedures first, like kind of just like the rules and laws and stuff, because I can focus on that. Studied, study, study, study. I thought failed. I put that stuff away, I put it in the closet, and I did not tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone I felt. I mean now they knew through I just put it away. Because it quit and was, and actually, just I actually just put it away. I didn't even talk to it myself. I told myself that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not smart enough, or what? So many, you know, downgrading myself above just not being smart, not being focused, maybe not really wanting this. But I never told anyone, and it was a, it was a failure. It was the first time I actually quit something. I didn't, I didn't try to push harder. I didn't try to, you know kind of like figure it out, you know, what what is my study habits? What am I missing? You know, what obviously I can learn this information. I know it, I think. Um I, I can apply myself to this. I did not do that. I literally realized did the same thing multiple times with my study habits. It did not click. I did not do it and I stopped. It was a failure for me was not the end of the that the test that I felt the test is that I actually quit and something and I didn't I don't know why I couldn't get it for the test like I don't know the reason you know was it was it my study habits was I not focused enough was it my flashcards you know was it the test you know prepping material I have no idea to this you know I have a little bit of idea of thinking that maybe it was not meant for me it was expectation of what I thought I needed to be doing versus, you know, actually what I, you know, I wanted the 
the knowledge of the degree for sure. It's been very, you know, helpful for me, but I didn't need the, the credentials of getting that degree to do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of have an understanding of that now, but I also kind of was like, almost like I kind of just wanted it as something to put, you know, and I don't know why I never, um, I never kept up with that. And that's the one thing that I actually quit. You know, I never quit. I never quit in a marathon. I never quit training for me. I like, I never quit. Like I've never quit the grill. My people, you know, I didn't quit. You know, things have faded or stopped or ended over time, but not intentionally say I am not doing this anymore. The learning of the reason why something fails is so much more important to me than actually the failure. Um, Cause then that's the learning so that way you don't do it again, you know, do it again. And I, I do like to learn a lot about myself, about people, about how we behave. And so that's the learning that part of it in my mind. I don't know why I did that. You know, we talked about it a little bit, maybe I understand now, but you know, at that moment I didn't. So, so yeah, that was a, um, the quitting of, um, my CPA, you know, um, examples was probably one of my bigger failures, the, the quitting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not the, not the actually failure right. of the exams. But yeah. yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, the Grail Cafe has become one of our favorite places to go. It's on probably one of my favorite blocks in Chicago in Printer's Row. And so, uh, Sheldrick, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I really, truly appreciate it. And that's this week's episode. Thanks again to Sheldrick for giving his time for this conversation. You can learn more about The Grail at thegrailcafe.com or on Instagram at thegrail.cafe. To learn more about me and my ministry, you can go to my website, christiancoon.com. Thanks again for listening.